0: Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, and all the boat rockers who are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at sonslibertymedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. And listen, when you give thanks, you are directing your thanks to someone. It's not just Mother Nature, as some people want to say, or whatever. You're directing your thanks to your Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who made all things, heaven and earth, things invisible and visible. So let's give him thanks today, uh, for he is good even in the midst of our wickedness. Even in the midst of the things that are going on around us, God is still good. He will always be good. It is part of his nature. It's part of his character. He is immutable. We're going to get to some of that as he has done that for those who have come before that for us in just a moment. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. Sonsoflibertyradio.com and sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you want to watch the live Video of the radio show. That's right. You can see the faces made for radio. Head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com and scroll down right there on the right side of the page. We're live this morning. You can also watch that live video feed on my Twitter account. at Not my Twitter account. On Bradley's at BradleyDean1. Periscope in Twitch is streaming at Setting Brushfires. Facebook is BradleyDeanSOL. Our new YouTube channel is BradleyDean. We're also on Before it's, news.com, Before it's news.com, and then also on dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. If you'd like to support the Sons of Liberty, you can do so. Um, let me show you where you can do some of that. Go to sonslibertymedia.com, right at the top of the page. There's a donate button if you'd like to do that. Uh, we don't have our hand, we don't, uh, you know, Ask for money and stuff like that, but but we do let you know we do have needs. And if you can, if you want Phil led to fill in and help meet those needs each month, click on the donate button. And also, if you would like to partner with us monthly, you can do that. You can become a son or daughter of Liberty. You do that right here on Sons of Liberty. And then also, while you're there, come over here and sign up for our newsletter. You get one email a day. We don't rent it out. We don't, you know, send you junk mail. You get one email a day and that's just for our articles that we have on Sons of Liberty Media. So uh, these are ways that you can help support us. If you want to pick up a T-shirt like what I've got on here, this is just a Sons of Liberty T-shirt, or maybe you want one of the new dog tags. It's got First uh, John 318 on it and the Sons of Liberty on it as well. If you'd like to pick those up, those are in our store as well. Um, okay, so let's get to everything, um, and let me let me let you know this too. If you want to call in 215-TOP-TALK, 215 867 8255. Love to hear from you. Maybe you just want to call in and you want to give a quick thank you to God for whatever. Um, love to hear from you. Okay? Seriously. If we have to run over or something like that, that's fine. Um, but if you want to call in and you have something that you're thankful for uh, this Thanksgiving, then feel free to call us. 215 Top Talk 215 867 8255. All right. Let's get to some of the things that, uh, that I want to talk about today, and that is Thanksgiving. I'm going to hit several areas, and if I have to go over a little, I'll do that. i I got a house full of people, so everybody's asleep except my wife and I. And um, so I'm trying not to be too loud, but uh, I do want to get to this information. Psalm 78 says this, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children remember this is deuteronomy this is i mean this is do- what deuteronomy 6 says is supposed to happen here in psalm 78 the psalmist is saying it, it, we're still doing this and we're the results of those who came before us doing it okay <clears throat> and it says that the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart right and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. "'and forgat his works and his wonders that he had showed them. "'Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers "'in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. "'He he divided the sea and caused them to pass through, "'and he made the waters to stand as in heap. "'In the daytime also he led them with a cloud "'and all the night with a light of fire. "'He clave the rocks in the wilderness "'and gave them drink out of the great depths. "'He brought streams also out of the rock "'and caused waters to run down like rivers.' And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? He already was. Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? And therefore the Lord heard this. And was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. But they believed not in God, and trusted not in His salvation, though He had commanded the clouds from above, and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down man upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by His power He brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also above them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations, so they did eat and were well filled. For he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the the chosen men of Israel. For all This they still sinned, or they sinned still, and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore, their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble, when he slew them. And they sought him, and they returned and inquired early of God. And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan, and had turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent diverse sort of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their increase into the caterpillar and their labor into the locust. He delivered their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, indignation, and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely, so that they feared not. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies, and he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to the mountain which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them, and divided them an inheritance by line, and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God, and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. And when God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among them, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He gave his people over also unto the sword, and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men, and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. And the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. And he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph, and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built this sanctuary like high high palaces, like the earth which he had established forever. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his head, of his hands. That is a recounting of what God had done for the people of Israel. It wasn't it does teach us something about Israel it teaches us something about ourselves that we are prone to be a sinful people, thus the need for a savior from sin, the Lord Jesus. But if you'll notice in this the people who would not turn from their sin but were rebellious towards God, they were part of his covenant too, and they got curses. Okay? They were, they were part of his covenant that he gave to them. Read the book of Deuteronomy. And specifically in twenty eight, there's blessings and there's cursings. Which one, which one were they receiving? Well, God's people received the blessings. They received those promised blessings from God. And this is just a short recount of what God had done in their midst. And you said, "Well, that's all fine and dandy, Tim. That was back in the biblical days. That's that's an ancient book. Maybe you're maybe you're an unbeliever. That's an uh, that's an ancient book. That's stuff that's a long time ago. Psalm seventy-eight is one of those passages that teaches us we're to remind our children of what God has done in the past, but we're also to be those as we read about, in say Psalm one hundred seven or Psalm one thirty-six. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good." For his mercy endureth through the Old Testament? Nope. His mercy endureth forever. He is the God of... uh, Give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Or Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for his good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Go ahead and say so, church. (laughs) Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. "...and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south, and they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. They cried out to the Lord, and what did He do? He answered, didn't He? He answered." Well, that's fine. We don't have any callers. I know how that is. We we had Thanksgiving service, and sometimes people are a little intimidated, I guess, by crowds. But David talks about going and standing in the assembly and giving praise unto God, attributing to him all the good things that he has done. I got a book. It's called uh, Of Plymouth Plantation. We bought this years ago. Um, And um, this is not revisionist history. This is straight from William Bradford. Okay? And um, it's interesting because before I get to that, before I get to that, let me... um, Let me get to to this, because one of the things that is missing today and that we're seeing come up in our society is the fact that this socialism is creeping, you know, raising its head up. It's not anything new, folks. It really isn't anything new. It's really old. And William Bradford was one of those guys who experienced socialism. So let's, let's talk in terms of what we have with what came with the pilgrims in that area and what happened with them, and then we'll move a little forward. But just a reminder, you know, God didn't work just in the crossing of the Red Sea. God had worked with the people of Israel all, all that, the time that they were in existence, even up until A.D. 70, when he brought the final curses upon them, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem, and destroyed it. And he began to bring the blessings that he talked about, bringing it to another nation who would bear the fruits thereof, the, 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 the New Testament church, that would not just encompass Israel, but would encompass the world. So how did our forefathers, William Bradford and company, how, how, did, they sur- how did they survive when they got here? Well, they had a long Journey, right? This is something that's being attacked today. Our history. The real history. Not the fake stuff. The real history. And to help help understand this, what had went on then, I'm going to call upon um, one of our authors over at Sons of Liberty Media, William Federer. Some of you may be familiar with some of his work. And I, I just want to kind of lay a background here as to what was going on. There were three types of colonies that could be set up. One was a company charter colony. Another was a royal crown colony. And another was a proprietary colony. Now, a company charter colony was created with the permission of the king, but had investors and bylaws. Their background is interesting, says Federer. Medieval Europe had a sin called usury. We've talked about that, haven't we? The paying or receiving of interest resulting in there being no companies. Any large undertaking had to be financed by the king or rich individuals. After the Reformation, one of the first joint stock companies was the Dutch East India Company, founded in 1602. Anyone, be it a baker, blacksmith, farmer, etc., could invest in a ship Excuse me. going to Indonesia and when it came back filled with spices, a profit would be paid. If someone wanted to sell their stock in the ship, they would go to the Amsterdam Stock Exchange, the first of its kind in the world. If the ship sank, the Dutch covered the loss by creating the first modern insurance companies. The British East India Company was founded in 1600, and the Virginia Company of London was founded in 1606. After the Virginia colony suffered repeated financial loss due to diseases, Famine and Indian massacres. It became royal crown colony in 1624. We're going to get to some of that Indian stuff in a little bit, because I know you've been told all kinds of stuff. And look, there's been times in our country's history that the government has treated the Native Americans really poorly. I'm not going to sit here and deny that. But what I'm going to read to you from Bradford, you'll understand what was going on there. Okay, Number two. A royal crown colony was ruled directly by the king through his appointed governor. In Virginia's case, <clears throat> excuse me, the king appointed a governor but did not provide financial support. Governors demanded landowners provide his funding but left it up to them to determine how leading to a degree of autonomy in the Virginia House of Burgesses, the first legislative assembly in the New World. Number three, a proprietary colony was land given by the king to private individuals. Notably, Maryland was originally given by King Charles I as private property to Lord Baltimore in 1632. The Carolinas were originally given by King Charles II as private property to seven Lord proprietors in 1663. New York was originally given by King Charles II as private property to his younger brother, the Duke of York, in 1664. Pennsylvania was given by King Charles as private property to William Pence in 1681. The Pilgrim's Plymouth Plantation was originally a company colony, having obtained a land patent from the Virginia Company of London. Company bylaws were drawn up by the adventurers, the investors who loaned the money for the Pilgrim's trip. They hoped to be paid back with a profit. The bylaws set up a communal system for the first seven years in which all capital and profits remained quote in ye common stock end quote. This was this was part of the issue here of this idea of a communism. Okay. And it was tried. It was tried. Um, we know that the pilgrims came and one of the first things that they did was they set up government, okay? They, they set out their charter of what they were going to do. It's called the Mayflower Compact. And nobody can deny what it says. It says, in the name of God, amen, we whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, King James, having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith, an honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. It went on to say, in the presence of God and one another, we covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body politic. Remember we talked about that the other day, didn't we? The ecclesia, or the ecclesia, however you want to pronounce the term. What the church is, to be in the gates. This is what they were doing to enact just and equal laws as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony under which we promise all due submission and obedience and witness thereof we have hereunder subscribed our names at cape cod the 11th of november 1620 this was our forefathers here they had journeyed over here taking great risk losing many people along the way Being in the winter and losing a lot of people, I'm going to read some of that straight from William Bradford here in a moment. And yet they were a thankful people to God. It's pretty incredible. It really is pretty incredible to see what had happened with um, these people. So there's several things to note. One is, is that in this communal system, this this communistic kind of system. Everybody, you know, gets the benefits of everybody else. Here's what um, William Bradford wrote. The Adventurers and Planters. And by the way, if you want to get this book, if you're watching by video, it's in the video description. You can click on it. I think there's a free Kindle version. So if you got a tablet, if you got a phone, if you got the computer, you can, uh, you know, just uh, you can read it off of that. And I think it, it doesn't even cost you anything that that version does it you want another version, you'll have to pay for it. In any case, William Bradford says, The adventurers and planters do agree that every person that goeth being aged 16 years and upward be accounted a single share. The persons transported and ye adventurers shall continue their joint stock and partnership together, ye space of seven years. During which time, all profits and benefits that are got by trade, traffic, trucking, working, fishing, or any other means of any person or persons remain still in ye common stock. Which means if you went out and you worked an hour or two in the day, you got the same amount as the guy who worked till he just couldn't work anymore all day. Doesn't sound like a system you want to be involved in, does it? And they learned that really quick. That all such persons as are of this colony are to have their meat, drink, apparel, and all provision out of ye common stock and goods, that at ye end of ye seven years, ye capital of profits, the houses, lands, goods, and chattels, be equally divided betwixt ye adventurers and planters. It sounds, okay, we're all going in this together, it's a joint venture together, and then at the end, we're just going to divide up, once we're, once we're established well, we're going to divide up the spoils, so not the spoils, but all the, all the things we've accumulated. We're going to divide them up among ourselves. Okay? Here's what William Bradford had to say, and he described it in this book of Plymouth Plantation, that sharing all profits and benefits in your common stock, regardless of how each individual worked, did not work. And that's because of human nature. Right here's what he said: The failure of that experiment of communal service which was tried for several years and by good and honest men, proves the emptiness of the theory of Plato. This is where this comes from, and other ancients applauded by some of latter times that the taking away of private property and the possession of it in community by a commonwealth would make a state happy and flourishing as it were as they were wiser than God. For in this instance, community of property was found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment, which would have been to the general benefit. For the young men who were most able and fit for service objected to being forced to spend their time and strength in working for other men's wives and children without any recompense. Isn't that interesting? Bradford continued, the strong man or the resourceful man had no more share of food, clothes, etc than the weak man who was not able to do a quarter of the of the quarter yeah, excuse me, not able to do a quarter the other could. This was thought an injustice. It was an injustice. The aged and graver men who were ranked and equalized in labor, food, clothing, etc, with the humbler and younger ones, thought it some indignity and disrespect to them. It was. As for men's wives who were obliged to do service for other men, such as cooking, washing their clothes, etc., they considered it a kind of slavery, and many husbands would not brook it. Good. They shouldn't have. Bradford explained that the communistic plan of redistributing wealth failed. He said, If all were to share alike and all were to do alike, then all were on uh, on an equality throughout, and one was as good as the other, And so, if it did not actually abolish those very relations which God himself has said among men, it did at least greatly diminish the mutual respect that is so important should be preserved amongst them. Let none argue that this is due to human failing rather than to this communistic plan of life in itself. I think there is a human failing there. The reason these people... uh, reacted the way they did. One is, on the one side, the sinful nature of man. On the other side, the righteousness of God in those who are created in his image. And people were ticked off that, I mean, the biblical order of even the family was being destroyed. Okay? Bradford described individual capitalism, what we call capitalism, not crony capitalism stuff. We're talking about what people do with their own stuff, their own efforts um, to, to bring about property, and increase. He writes this, I answer, seeing that all men have this failing in them, that God in his wisdom saw that another plan of life was fitter for them. So they began to consider how to raise more corn and obtain a better crop than they had done, so that they might not continue to endure the misery of want. At length, after much debate, the governor, with the advice of the chief among them, allowed each man to plant corn for his own household. So every family was assigned a parcel of land according to the proportion of their number. This was very successful. It made all hands very industrious so that much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any means the governor or any other could devise and saved him a great deal of trouble and gave far better satisfaction. The women now went willing into the field and took their little ones with them to plant corn while before they would allege weakness and inability and have compelled them would have been thought great tyranny and oppression. Well, of course it is. But we're allowing that today. (laughs) We've been allowing that stuff for a long time here in America. Now, understand, they have this going on at this time. They have this going on at this time. And then Bradford writes in his book, they're also dealing with certain people that want to kill them. He writes in um, of Plymouth Plantation, Besides the casualties of the seas, they asserted that the length of the voyage was such that the women and other weaker persons worn out with age and travail could never survive it. Even if they should, and he's kind of wrapping up what they endured on the boat coming over. And then he's going to tell you about those that they, they encountered. Even if they should, they contended that the miseries which they would be exposed to in such a country would be too hard to endure. The change of air, diet, and water would infect them with sickness and disease. By the way, folks, um, there were developments of breweries. Just to let you know. And that was because the water was bad to drink for them. And the brewery tended to fight off the bad stuff in the water so that they could keep hydrated. He says, again, all those who surmounted these difficulties would remain in continual danger from the savages who are cruel, barbarous, and treacherous, furious in their rage, and merciless when they get the upper hand. He's talking about the natives who were here in America. Not content to kill... They delight in tormenting people in the most bloody manner possible, flaying some alive with the shells of fishes, cutting off the members and joints of others piecemeal, broiling them on the coals and eating collops of their flesh in their sight while they live, with other cruelties too horrible to be related. Does that sound like a love fest that you're hearing from... um, people today who are trying to rewrite history about America's past. And the very hearings of these things could not but move the very bowels of men to grate within them and make the weak to quake and tremble. It was further objected that it would require greater sums of money to prepare for such uh, a voyage as they were uh, going on at the time. That's what he's recounting here. Okay, that's what he's recounting. And I'm going to get back to William Bradford here in a second. But understand something. These people, our forefathers, in the 1600s, 400 years ago, endured these things, not for the sake of religious freedom, but for what we call the American dream. Except they defined the American dream not as a house and two cars. Obviously, that wasn't the issue. They defined it as... Setting up a culture, being the city on the hill, doing having a, a Christian work ethic, and doing all things for the glory of God—that's how they saw the American dream. That has changed drastically. It is incredibly Marxist and humanistic in its concept now. It is not what our forebears established here. It just isn't that. Okay. So what did God do? Well, God grew them. In fact, let me go ahead and take this, this portion here. It, in the end of the um, uh, of Bradford's of Plymouth Plantation, and I could read several of these accounts of their encounters with um, Indians who were hostile to them. There were obviously those who, who worked with them, and they worked with the Indians, and they had good relations. And we see later on uh, Pocahontas becomes a Christian. You don't get that in your Disney story, do you? She becomes a Christian. But here's what he does. He recounts the names of the people and their children and all who established the settlement. He writes, "...the names of those who came over first in the Mayflower in the year 1620, and were by the blessing of God the first beginners and founders of the settlements and colonies of New England." with their families, written down A.D. 1650. So he's making this list 30 years later. He mentions people like John Carver, him, uh, William Brewster, Edward Winslow, William Bradford himself, and, all of, and then they list their families, their wives, their children. Isaac Allerton, Samuel Fuller, John Craxton, Miles Standish, Christopher Martin, William Mullins, William White, Stephen Hopkins, Richard Warren, John Billington, Edward Tilly, John Tilly, Francis Cook, Thomas Rogers, Thomas Tinker, John Rigdell, James Chilton, Edward Fuller, John Turner, Francis Eaton, Moses Fletcher, John Alden, John Allerton, Thomas English, William Trevor. And then he and, and he lists, you know, family members, other people that came with them in that first settlement. And this is how he concludes. I want you to listen to this. Of these one hundred or so of persons who came over first, more than half died in the first generational or first general sickness. Of those that remained, some were too old to have children. Nevertheless, in those 30 years, there have sprung up from that stock over 160 persons (laughs) in 30 years. God blessed them. Even in the midst of all of these things that they faced, whether it was from the native Indians, whether it was from the travel, the cold, the sicknesses, the lack of food, whatever the case may be, God still blessed them. and then he ends with this this is the last line that he ends with let the lord have praise have the praise who is the high preserver of men i here here's the thing i look at america today i see so many people distraught some people are concerned that we have people who will push this same kind of agenda on America going into office in January. And I'm telling you right now, all the power is with the people at the local level anyway. Okay? It really is. You can shut down any of their edicts anytime you want by being the ecclesia and going and dealing with your local city councils, county councils, and all of these things. You can do that. You can pressure them till you shame them into doing what they're supposed to do if the church will do it. And people are worried about that. Yeah, we've had some rough times. We're probably going to face some rougher times because, as we read before in Psalm 78, the people won't listen. And God's not one to be mocked. He's not one that doesn't see. He sees all. Here's a good testimony here. In the midst of all of the supposed bad things in life, what does God tell us that he's doing? Romans eight twenty eight. He works all things together for what? Good. For who? Those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, what does that mean for those who hate him? Well, I'm imagining that means the opposite. He's working all things together for bad for you because he's promised that in the blessings and cursings. And we are a covenant people here. We really are. Um, There's a number of things that we could remind ourselves of with regard to what went on with William Bradford and the community there at Plymouth Plantation. From where we get, where we celebrate today, God's goodness and it wasn't just the, 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 him and his crew of the saints, we refer to them as pilgrims, who came over here. They brought in the natives. They celebrated with them. They wanted them to see the goodness of God and to give thanks to the one who had made them. This is what Thanksgiving is about, guys. It is about recognizing that God has brought us where we are. If you are rich, if you are poor, guess who you have to thank for that? God. not saying he didn't use the means of your body or your intellect or any of that other, but you are where you are, and you are blessed how you're blessed because of God. So if you have a little or if you have a lot, you should thank God for that. You really should. If people who went and did what these guys did and faced the opposition that they faced, and endured the things that they endured, can at the end say, all praise belongs to the Lord. Surely you and I can do that here in America, or wherever you're at. Maybe you're in Denmark. Maybe you're in Australia. Maybe you're seeing the tyranny far greater than we are here in the United States. You can still give God thanks for what you are, for what you have. And that's, that's really what today is about. It's not about the feasting. The feasting is just... I mean, it's it's recognizing that God has provided that anyway, isn't it? It's a time for fellowship with family. It's a time for remembering God's blessings upon us. Let's shoot forward just a little bit. I had not planned on this. Let's shoot forward just a little bit in history. Let's go another, I don't know, two, three hundred years ahead. And what do we find? The oppression of the tyrants from Britain had come in and tried to squelch our forefathers. They were taking their ability to meet more than once a year in a public assembly. They were shutting down their speech. They were taxing the people. They were coming to take their arms And the people were appealing to heaven. What drove that appeal to heaven? We talked about that with Dr. John Diamond the other day. What drove that? Well, I can tell you this. It wasn't a political party. It wasn't a political savior. It was the pulpits. We call those preachers the Black Robe Regiment. They were teaching people the principles of liberty. They were teaching them what God had done in the past and how he operates in this world. And the people have to believe that this is how God does things. I read to you a month or two ago, and that video is gone now, but you can find it in the archives of the videos on our Facebook page. Just go to the video tab there on Facebook, and you will you can scroll down and you can find it. I think I called it Lexington 2.0. It's a, it's the, um, it, it was a sermon that was given just before the first shots heard around the world were given. Some of the men who heard that sermon gave their lives in that in that manner for that cause, for the cause of liberty. Okay? So we, we've seen God do that, and what happened as a result of their appeal to heaven? God did some pretty miraculous things in the history of America. You guys who haven't read The Bulletproof George Washington, it's a short little account. I think it was the French and Indian War. I believe that's what it was. Where the chief Indian came to him. You can you can read this any anywhere. Um, but the chief Indian came, his enemy, and said, The great spirit must be protecting you because I know I shot at you several times. And George Washington even had his jacket with bullet holes in it, but yet he was unwounded. Pretty incredible. That great picture that you see with Washington crossing the Delaware, all the things that transpired that night, the hand of God. I mean, you can't explain some of this stuff that's going on. You really can't explain some of the stuff that's going on, except to say God was watching after those people at that time. Let's go back a little further. Let's jump back in between Israel our founding fathers, those like William Bradford. God knew that something needed to be done too for the human race. Was it wasn't just about delivering them out of the hands of their enemies, physical enemies? It was about delivering them out of the hands of themselves their own enemies, the enemy of sin. And the Bible tells us that when the time was right, he sent forth his only son under the law. I know there's people who don't like to hear about the law. I get it. I get it. Because the law condemns us, doesn't it? And it it points out our sin. It points out our rebellion. It, reports out, it points out the fact that we're not good in and of ourselves. We're just not. And so how was God going to deal with that? Well, God had already said, the soul that sins shall surely die. Shall surely die. And so he sent forth his own son among sinful men, a covenant people that he had saved, those ones that we read about in Psalm 78, And he sent the Lord Jesus among them. And he came in and the people witnessed him. We can go back. Man, we could take hours and we can go and we could show you at various points of Christ's life what God was trying to say in the law that pointed to Christ. When he would come in and he would be in full view of the people during the the Passion Week. Well, you go right back to what they were to do with the with the lamb, to ensure that it was without spot or blemish. You can go and see when the priests would come into a house and they would see the mold there and such, and how they dealt with that, whether they needed to to, to cleanse it or whether they needed to tear down the house. You can see Jesus going in the temple, as pictured as, you can read the start of one gospel. He goes in, he dries them out, he comes back later. In years times. And he sees it's still going on. And this is why he's saying, your house is left to you desolate, Matthew 23. And yet he comes in and he's willing to give himself in the place of those that hate him. He's willing to show love for them. It's not a communistic effort. It's the king who has all things, who owes nothing to anybody, and yet he comes in and he's willing to give. And The Bible tells us that he adopts us, those who were children of the devil. He adopts us into his family. He cleanses us from our sins. And the command to us is to what? Repent. It is not to say, hey, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, and you can just go on being however you were. He's always calling us to be like him in his character. To be conformed and molded into the image of Christ, as Paul writes in the book of Romans. That golden chainment of redemption, right? Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also... He sanctified, and those He sanctified, He will also glorify. That's the work of God in the life of the believer. If you just think for one minute that the message is, you need to ask Jesus in your heart kind of stuff, well, you've got a wrong gospel. That's not it at all. The issue is you need to go and repent. Stop sinning. I mean, that was the message of the prophets, of Jesus, of the apostles. And let me tell you something. I believe in the life of the Christian. We are repenting daily because God is often pointing out wrong habits, wrong attitudes, wrong words, wrong actions, a lack of love here, a hatred over here for something that we shouldn't be hating. A hatred for sin, which is a good thing. A love for His Word, a love for His people. If that's not going on, you might want to you might want to ask yourself whether or not you're in the faith, as Paul says. He says you might want to examine that. I'm leading up to this because the thing that we're to be most thankful for is God Himself. You know, in our Catechism that we. I'll go through with the kids. The first question that we ask is What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God, it is to give weight to who God is and what He has said by obeying Him. That's what it means to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. How many Christians. Have that as their response to, what's our chief end? Some will say, oh, it's to accept Jesus. Well, that may play a part in it, don't get me wrong. But it's to glorify God. Today, what are you thankful for? Didn't get any calls, and that's okay. (laughs) I understand, I get it. Today, what are you thankful for? Are you thankful that God worked through Moses and the prophets, the Lord Jesus, the apostles, the history of the church? Are you thankful for that? How how about are, are you thankful for people like William Bradford? Look, William Bradford was not a perfect man by any means. So you, this is something I have to say to those who, when I'm I'm critiquing, um, you know, the president or anybody else for that matter, I. It, there is no perfect person here on Earth. I already know that. We're not even arguing those kinds of things, but are you thankful that they did what they did? Because if they had it, more than likely, the majority of us here wouldn't be here. We just wouldn't be here. Okay? Um, okay, somebody's calling in. so we're gonna, we've got a couple of minutes here. I'm going to take them and then I'll, I'll finish out. Um, click on this and see if it answers. And I'm clicking the answer, but it's not answering. Hey, Brian. Hey, man. How are you? This is Brian. Hey, Ken. This yeah. is Brian Stossel, bro. Yes, sir. Hey, I just want to be thankful for being here today, man. As many heart attacks that I've had, um, the devil tried to take me out several times, man. And it's a blessing for me just to be able to call in. Amen. Amen. Not counting everything the Lord has given to me. Amen. I just wanted to say that, and I just want to get back to—I let you get back to what you were doing. Okay, hey, good to hear from Happy you, brother. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Yeah, same to you, brother. All right, there goes Brian. Right. There goes Brian, and we appreciate you, Brian, very much. I—Brian sends me uh, little riffs that he does. I know he has some—I uh, don't know if you've got arthritis, Brian, or whatever it is—but he—he uh, he loves to play the guitar, and I—I I love that. I love when he sends me those—those those videos of him playing the guitar. It's great. Uh, Thank you, Brian. We really appreciate you, man, and your support as well. Getting back to what I'm talking about. Are you thankful that there were those who were willing to go and to not just talk about the tyranny and point out the problems, but were willing to stand against it? They were willing to stand against it. To the point where they were shedding their blood. You know, that's what we end up doing. Do you know why we enjoy stories that have a hero that takes out the bad guys and then gives his life in the final, you know, moments to protect somebody else or for for a greater purpose? Because it gives us a picture of what Christ has done for us. It's imperfect. It's done by sinful men. All of that, but then in the Old Testament, that's what we're told that was going on there. When Jesus was resurrected, he came to his disciples and he says, what's written in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they speak about me. When you read about Joshua, it's not really, it's a story about Joshua, but it's really pointing to Christ. When you read about Joseph, it's really a story pointing to Christ. When you read about Moses, it's really a story pointing to Christ. Pick your person, King David, or whoever. You are seeing a picture of Christ. Now we have the reality. We have the Christ. And yet there is still this picture in history where men show that forth. Bradley uses, usually uses the term of those who give their lives for the sake of protecting others, whether it be in a, a military setting or, or something else. Willing to shed their blood in order to defend and protect those who are helpless. We're coming up on the end of the show here, and um, again, yeah, thank you, Brian, for uh, for the call. And those of you who joined this morning—it's not a lot of people. I'm not expecting that. Some people are sleeping in—that's okay. And um, for some people, this isn't a—you know—when they see a title like I've put out there, they're like, "Oh, I'm not interested." That's not—that's not, that's not going to fuel my political junkiness and my idolatry towards whatever my political idol is. And so they're they're not going to be here. And that's okay. But here's the thing. Be thankful today. Why? Because the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Take time to read Psalm 78 today. Psalm 136, Psalm 107. Remind yourself of the goodness of God. Maybe even when you're gathered around the table with your family and friends. Take time to just express one or two things that God has done for you that you're thankful for, and uh, and give him glory in doing that. You guys have a great Thanksgiving. Be thankful. <laughs> Enjoy your time with your loved ones, and in 23 hours we'll be back with you. 6 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow. Till then, see ya.